squishied it. Hello, squishies. Hello, squishies. Welcome to the Squishcast. I am Unviv. And I am Andrew. Andrew, I've, I've bought you another gift. <gasps> another gift, you say? Yeah, another gift. Oh, your kindness is the stuff of legend. What did you get me this time? Uh, I have bought you nothing. Please give me a million pounds. That doesn't sound like a gift. But buying nothing on the internet is very popular these days. It's a nice gesture, Andrew. Give me a million pounds, please. I don't really think you've understood this at all. I understand it perfectly. I'm not an idiot. You're an idiot. And you look weird. Okay, this is getting out of control. Why don't I explain to you what an NFT really is? Fine, but I demand that you do it through the medium of song. <coughs> Come with me and you'll be in a world of NFT delusion. So, hello. Andrew, yes. tell us, what have you been playing? Well, Viv, I had some time off, so rather than leaving the house and seeing this lovely sunshine <laughs> that we're getting, I played video games. Of course you did. So let's just reel this, this list off. So I finished Horizon Forbidden West. You I got did. The, I, got, I got the plat. Yeah, you did. Because I did that. Uh, then I played Binary Domain, which is a game made by the same team that uh, have done all the Yakuza games. Yeah. It's one of their few non-Yakuza and non-Monkey Ball games that they did. So I played that. Then I played a, <laughs> a game called Adam's Venture Origins. Okay. That had I played it before we did the Andrew's Terrible Video Games, would have absolutely made that list. Like, okay. Because it is god-awful, and I fucking loved it. I also got the plat for that. Cause, oh, wow. Because, uh, yeah, I was like, I'm all in on this this terrible, terrible game. Then I played Observer, System Redux, okay. uh, which I texted you about at the time, because I, play, I played it um, maybe 2020. I think it came, the System Redux version came out in 2020. I think... If I remember rightly, and I got it then, and I started it because I'd been wanting to play the game for it uh, ages, and I did have the original version of Observer, and never played that either. Got System Redux. I tried it, and I got maybe an hour, hour and a half into the game originally, and I didn't really know what the game was going into it, and it was uh, a bit weird. And after an hour and a half, I was like, I don't like this, and I gave up. So I finally went back to it. It's a detective game, so it is about going into crime scenes, looking at things and trying to work stuff out, then following clues around, and you're, you're blocked into a small building, and it's everything's happening within this sort of fairly small space. Um, and I just really got into it. I really like that. Yeah, yeah. I uh, watched you play the ending of that, didn't I? Oh, yes, you did, yes. Yeah. Which I was like, oh, this this will only take me about half an hour. I'm right at the end. <laughs> yeah, was a, like an hour and a half more. later. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I really liked how it looked. Um, I actually don't know if it would be something I would play because it's quite a... Because um, you, you said you go around and you look at things and you know you have like different sort of modes of vision yeah. uh, to look at different types of information and you, you sort of have to work that out. I'm assuming there are decisions throughout the game that you have to make. Um, um, I mean, I get... The, the, most of the way through, the only real decision you make is whether or not you actually follow clues. 
right, there okay. are, like the, there's a lot of side things that you can discover that you don't have to do at all. Um, you could just go th to each of the three main murders, investigate those, go to the next one, and just plow your way through the story that way. Uh, but you'd sort of miss a lot of context. Yeah, yeah. So it is more interesting just to, to look at everything. And there was stuff yeah. I... I played it through twice over three or four days. Uh, and there was a bunch of stuff I missed the first time around because I didn't realise I got into the end game. Right, part yeah. Of the game and I couldn't go back to previous yeah. little side quest things. So I replayed it all again uh, the next day knowing sort of what I was doing um, to get the platinum for that as well. Nice. Um, so definitely uh, think um, yeah. it 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 is a a good game. I think um, I don't know if I could play it. I, like I really enjoyed watching you play it, but um, not a it, lot I mean, happens in terms of like what you're doing. Like you're quite like you are looking at stuff the entire time. I mean, you you were right at the end of the game, so right. like all of the actual crime scene investigation stuff had was kind of over. Uh, so you were just sort of seeing yeah. the, end, the end game. But in, I mean, I um, did get a spoops, didn't I? I got very stressed. You, yes, you did. Um, <laughs> uh, so the part of the part of the mechanic of the game is um, uh, you, as an observer, that's the rank of detective that you are. Your part of your skill set is that you can hook into people's subconscious and you can visit their memories. So that's why you're called an observer because you can yeah. uh, see all this stuff. Which is very much just sort of wandering around. I, I mean, it's the, the closest to layers of fear that the game gets, where you're just wandering around spooky, yeah. spooky corridors and everything sort of changes as the subconscious moves around and tries to make sense of things. Ah, the fun memories. So so that's very much just mm. wandering around looking at things. Yeah. But actually, everything in the real world is very much investigating a space, opening opening drawers, trying to solve puzzles and that. So that's a bit more engaging. Okay. So you, you saw mostly just the... Um, being inside someone's mind the, a bit. the dream the dream stuff but yeah. yeah no i i i really enjoyed really enjoyed getting into it properly um so yes you've been busy that's I not have. the end of your list is it no um and i finished uh resident evil revelations 2 as well you were really enjoying that did you uh was it as good at the end as it was when you started yeah i genuinely really enjoyed it uh, Ooh, there was good. there was some some fairly decent like puzzling in it as well okay yeah mm -hmm. um i have played one of the the they did release two dlc episodes after it i played the first one which i actually stopped because it was just sort of a wave-based shooting thing that seemed very right okay very much more resident evil 5 and 6 than anything else yeah yeah um and that's not really my thing so there's one more that i hope will be a bit more story-based that I'm going to give a go to. Um, so yeah, I enjoyed that. Um, uh, I did start that Seven Max VR game. Yeah, you did. I um, I did watch you start that. I uh, got very excited to see them all up in my face. You were there was a very very incredible sound that came out of Andrew <laughs> uh, when um, he saw Sam and Max in his face. Yeah, and I got to throw I got to throw Max across the room. Yeah, you did. It was good. And you and I played um, PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale. Yeah, we did. Yes, we did. Yeah. Yeah. It was... And that's all we'll say on that game. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to know what it is, go look it for yourself. I mean, it's it's Smash Brothers, but with 
characters from PlayStation, some of which you won't recognise. I mean, most of them I didn't. There's very few. And actually, a couple of them I only recognised because you had played the games. Ah, yeah, fair. Um, but yeah, that was that was. We got quite into it though. <laughs> I mean, we got uh, we got very competitive at it. I don't. Yeah. I'm not sure either of us thought it was good. Oh yeah, no, it's not good. It's definitely not good. <laughs> we, well, we got into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's that's a that's a really busy time off you had. Yeah. Yeah. You, uh, you really you really made the most of it. Yeah. Here's to, here's to the next. Yeah. Gosh, I want to get some time off just to play games. That sounds great. Um, I need to. I need. I've got a lot of catching up to do, as you know. Yes. What have What have you been playing? Um, I actually have also finished Horizon. Uh, I did not get the plat yet. Uh, I since finishing the game, I actually inhaled the game in a few days because I knew I was going to get a little bit busy again. So I finished the game. I haven't actually sat down to play since. Um, but I think that I will. I will probably go for that plat because it doesn't seem like it's too difficult. Other than the dumb um, hunting ground stuff, so I think I will go for that. Uh, I did a good job at clearing all the most of the question marks when I was playing the actual game. So yeah, go for that. And then yeah, I haven't played anything else, but I should mention that um, I will be going back to Doom Eternal. I think that is the game I'm going to go back to. Which you know, if you have joined us at any point, <laughs> you'll know that Andrew is not a fan. Um, because it's not, it doesn't have the same, uh, sort of, it's not as engaging as the first, well, this oh, two, 2016 just, one. It's too complicated. It's and too I, complicated, I, yeah. And I don't say that like, uh, like I'm unable to understand it. That's not the point. I just, I just argue that it's, it's overburdened with stuff that doesn't yeah. need to be there. And it sort of takes away the simplicity of the, the yeah. original Doom 2016. Yeah. I mean, I did play the first five hours of it, I think, four to five hours. And that was about the time, I think, that you said that you stopped. You stopped having fun. Um, and uh, so uh, just to, for those of you who have not heard, Doom Eternal is a, a first-person shooter game. Um, and it's a sequel to Doom 2016. And it was released in uh, 2020, March 2020. Uh, Andrew actually bought this, pre-ordered this when we were at EGX in 2019. Uh, so he's very upset that he didn't we, like we also, it. We also played it at that EGX. Yeah, we did. We played uh, that at the beginning, and it was. To, to be fair, that demo should have given us an idea of how complicated yeah. that because they just threw you in in the middle of this, and most of that gameplay demo was just the instruction screen. Yep. Like telling you how to play the yep. game. And I was like, uh, no. So do you remember me telling you you had that version? I did the thing that I do at EGX sometimes where I don't restart the game. So I was actually mid someone else's game. So, you, so uh, I went into it shooting and not understanding any of the controls. Like it, they're similar, but you know, like there's all the different uh, power ups and things that it, it, the over overbearing ones so i was just running around and dying really most of that so yeah i mean that probably should have given us a good indication of um what the game was going to be live i will be playing it on easy Uh, let's say that it doesn't feel like a game that i would enjoy playing in any of the difficulty but uh tbc on that one uh i haven't started i mean i have started it in the past i am going to restart it because there's no way i'll remember should we go back and just talk a little bit more about horizon seeing as both of us have played it both of us have probably got like 80 hours plus in the game. Um, but we have thoughts, don't we? Um, yes. From my perspective, my opinion of the game, like most of it still stands in that it's 
the world is beautiful and that I really enjoy the how they've created physically the character of Aloy, how she looks. But Andrew and I both have opinions on the character itself, how she is in the game. <laughs> in that, um, and Andrew uh, described it correctly, in that she's quite dull in the game. She doesn't really have a, a story of her own, like she like not as, as much as she had in the first game. And and I remember complaining last time about just anywhere she went, everyone just put her on a pedestal. And it sort of carried on throughout the game. Um, uh, with, you know, Silence being the only one that is kind of like just not phased by who she is. Um, yeah, she was not that interesting. She, thing Like everyone else was interesting, but she wasn't. She was just there. Like you, I enjoy. I I really enjoyed the game. Uh, I I do think it was beautiful, and the moment to moment gameplay I really enjoyed. But she yeah. really is just there as a vessel for you to experience the game. It well, and uh, other people's stories. Unlike the first yeah, one, yeah. where you were really propelled into discovering her story, and it really pushed you. This one, she's just there. Yeah. Um, the the other thing along those lines though that I was thinking about is I was ultimately really disappointed with Regala as a yeah, character yeah. who you see it about a third of the way through the game does the big attack and then a, a few hours later does another attack and then a few hours later does a final attack and then you can kill her or not kill her and that's it like she's not she really has no impact on your story or an Aloy story at all. Like, she's an inconvenience in terms of getting people to do what you want, because they're like, oh, no, we've got to deal with this Regala problem. But your solution isn't to go to Regala and find out what's going on with her and try and deal with all that. It's just to try and stop her forces and her, how Regala's doing things. But I, I got no sense of who Regala really was and yeah. why she was doing things or her side of things. And every time yeah. you did meet her in the game, she, it was always during combat, and obviously that's it's very heightened, and that's that seemed to be like a, a wasted opportunity of just having having those two characters um, having some discourse and yeah, or a real conflict. clash. Yeah, yeah. I, I really um, I really think that you know I I didn't. It's not that I didn't care, but I almost didn't care every time. You know, there was this whole idea around so the reasonings without you know, spoiling too much of the game, but the reasons why Regala is doing what she's doing is that, you know, she disagrees with the current chief and that also during a fight that they both had where, you know, the end of the fight was that they kill one another, that the chief won but didn't kill her and that was shameful. But I didn't care because I didn't get to know Regala. Um, you kind of get to know the chief, but you don't get to know her. So she is just this kind of angry woman that just goes around uh, attacking uh, in being an inconvenience for the entirety of the game um, so uh, yeah they really missed I, I really thought she would have been a bigger part of the game uh, also considering they decided to name their highest priced collector's yeah. edition after her I really thought yeah. she was going to be someone of like with some weight in the game but um, you know she was just another yeah, she... an, other person with an army yeah, she makes a big impact when you, when you first meet her. Yeah. But then. Yeah, just it's yeah. a real it's a real shame. There were some really nice characters in there, but they really missed out. And actually, 
I have to say, one of the things that I liked is that um, uh, they had a variety of characters there as well. There was lots of gay relationships and representation in the game. And, you know, some of it I can say was great in terms of, like, LGBT present, uh, representation or, you know, kind of like uh, gender norms. There was a really great conversation about... Um, someone look you know trying to you know settle in their identity and then another sort of uh, uh captain of that team talking about how they went through the same thing when they decided to put on women's armor identifying as a male uh, which i thought was really great um there was other cu- a couple of other th- a couple of other uh, bits that i'm not sure were represented accurately um but i know that it is there which i think it's which is really great. It, it just exists. It's not made like a big thing. It just it's part of the world. It's people, and this is how people are. And I really appreciate that. Um, again, I mean, Aloy's character must be. It's just the only one that doesn't have anything. It's just, it just yeah. Just it was. It was the last game, and that was it. Yeah. They, these are these are like thoughts. They are they are things. But um, I also really 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 enjoyed the game. I mean, I wouldn't. I'm not. I don't have Andrew's capacity, <laughs> so you know that I would have stopped playing it if I wasn't enjoying it. I would have just dropped the game, and I've played at least eighty hours of it. So it's a it's a high recommendation. I still love my Tremor Tusk statue. Mm-hmm. I look at it every day, and it's beautiful. Uh, the art book is beautiful, um, and so is my empty steel bookcase. Yeah, <laughs> um, so we do recommend, and um, if you do end up playing it. Let us know your thoughts. You know, we love hearing what you think about it. Are you willing to have thoughts on one more game? Absolutely. If you remember a couple of episodes ago, when we uh, had a discussion about video game ladies, uh, you may remember that Viv brought up Bayonetta from the video game Bayonetta, but hadn't played it and was asking for my opinion, which I tried to give. So in the meantime, since then, uh, I've had Viv round, as we said we were going to do, and she has played... The opening couple of hours of Bayonetta. Can I make an observation? Absolutely. I think you should of... go first because I, I'm, I still have a, uh, an indecision about it. So if you go first, and then I will tell so this, you what I think. This is this is my observation. You started the game, and I feel that you were maybe projecting your thoughts of what you thought she was going to be like when the game started and i think some of those thoughts were confirmed but there was a point maybe about an hour and a half into the game where i heard you squeal in delight at something you were doing and i noticed that you had started to enjoy yourself playing the game but i don't know if that was purely the gameplay or the story or that you were coming around to who she was so if we go back to that episode what I posited is that she was a character who enjoyed sexuality that she presented herself as a sexual being and that was fine that it wasn't someone looking at just a regular, normal human being and projecting sexuality onto them, that she, it was sexuality projected from her outwards. And that was what I said was the difference in her to a lot of other 
the characters. Like, Lara Croft isn't someone who dresses sexy. I mean, she has. But you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Like, her, like her motivation isn't sexual. And it tends to be a lot of people projecting that onto her. We talked about that as well. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Bayonetta, like, is sexual from the inside. And that's her character traits and what they're doing with her as, a, as, as this witch character fighting the forces of goodness and whatever. Um, your thoughts? In terms of what you've just said about me enjoying, I enjoyed, and I need to be clear here, because this happens with other games, where I enjoy the game, but it does not mean that I enjoy how the women are represented. So I think that the game is good. Like, the combat is different. I haven't done that type of combat in a, a long time. Um, but I enjoyed the combat. I did enjoy, kind of, the story that was going on. Obviously, the game is... It wasn't made now. It's 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 quite a... I'm going to say old, but maybe not old, but you know what I mean, just older. So you can definitely see that um, kind of those 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 traits um, of the the way that they speak to each other, which I actually quite find quite funny. Um, I do think that I'm still in undecided, having had time to think about it for these reasons, because even though like when I got maybe an hour into it, I was really just enjoying who she was. You know, she wasn't like having sex with, you know, loads of people or whatever. She was just a sexual being. Where The way she is presented at the beginning of the game is the same. I spoke about this in the Video Game Ladies episode. The angles that the camera comes in at is directly related to who is going to play the game. And the first time you see her outfit come on which is her hair it zooms in like it it very specifically rips on her bum and her boobs and that's what it zooms in at and then the clothes go on so the game is good but that is still there the first time you know you even spoke about the lollipop moment i don't have an issue with the lollipop but the way she the way she received that lollipop she moaned and stuck her tongue out and then put the lollipop in her mouth and that is the difference you don't need to do that to be a sexual woman like that is that is something uh, that was a decision that somebody made for the audience that's going to play that game do you know what i mean and it's like she can be a sexual being but that that side of it is unnecessary but also you know again whoever is going to play that is going to enjoy that particular sexy side of it is my thoughts. So, you know, the, the, the tongue shot, the, you know, moaning and licking her lips. There's a moment in the beginning. And again, it's very specifically in the opening sequences and it doesn't happen afterwards where the way she's talking just becomes more breathy and it's just like almost like moaning. Like, And I don't understand why that needs to be a thing that happens because that's not... Uh, that's not really how s sexy, strong, you know, people who are confident with sexuality, they don't speak like that. And also, I read something that was really interesting. I mean, this is why I'm conflicted. So Bayonetta was created by a man, but her designer was a female, which is why I'm like, okay, so a, a woman has designed this character, but also, is that a smokescreen for excusing having some i don't know but so this is why i'm a bit undecided but i read something that was really interesting and i'm just going to read it to you um 
because you've also said it out loud and I think it's important. So this person on the internet has said uh, this. Saying that fictional female characters are enjoying their sexuality is pretty much the exact same as saying her creators, all of them, not just a female designer, take joy in her sexuality. Characters don't actually have agency because they are not real people. So blaming her appearance on her choices is a very strange move. Character designers are aware of what they're doing. I'm frankly disinclined to think this game would exist were she a less sexual character. And okay. that's really the end of my points. It's like sh the character does not have that sexuality. The people that created her do. And the people that created her, again, why I'm in this undecided, because she, she, I think she is sexy and confident, but there are decisions that they made very early on for their audience, but then didn't make them later on. So they moved away from that, but they presented her as such. So... Again, good game. I think I would play it actually, but like it's it's there. It's very small. Well, it's not small, but it's there. The choices are there, um, and that game probably wouldn't sell if it wasn't what it was. For some audiences, let me be clear. I'd be really interested to um, to know if anyone listening has played it and um, has a different opinion. Like I'm, I'm really happy and would love to be challenged. Um, I think also when you're a woman uh, or someone who identifies as one, you can maybe also uh, put this, put your experiences on things um, because you just see so much of it. Sometimes it's, uh, when you see something that maybe is done with a different intention, uh, you, you know, you can, you can put your things on top. So, you know, I might be doing that, who knows, but that, you know, currently is my opinion of it. But again, I'm happy to be challenged. Well, there's that was that was some thought. We got got a little little sidetracked there, didn't we? Sidetracked, yeah. I didn't I didn't know we were going to have that much to say about Bayonetta. No, uh, but um, um, yeah, we had uh, we have we've got quite quite a discussion coming up. Should we should we move on? Absolutely, let's go. Okay, Viv. So we thought it would be interesting to have a little chat about nfts because they are all over the news people won't shut up about nfts yeah uh and i had a vague understanding of what they were but not a massive one so i thought maybe some other people might be in the same boat and be a bit like i sort of understand it but maybe i don't yeah so let's let's talk about it Absolutely, I would bloody love to know what an NFT is because I'm I'm one of those people who sort of knows, um, but the concept is so weird to me that I'm not sure that I do. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, yeah. What's what's an NFT, Andrew? I will say before we start, everything that we're going to talk about we believe is correct at the time we're recording it, but uh, and any mistakes are, are mine basically, or our opinions, and opinions aren't wrong unless they are. <laughs> Um, so if you'd like to add anything or correct any information that we're about to say, then please feel free to discuss this in our Discord. We are learning about NFTs too as we go along. So I've made a lot of notes. You did. I've made a lot of notes. So first of all, I used to call, uh, used to say that NFT stood for not a fucking thing. 
but it actually stands for non-fungible token. And what does that mean? Okay, so I I done a look up. So fungible means that it's easy to exchange or trade for something else of the same type or value. So in a sense, money is fungible because you will see a commodity you want, like a video game, and go, yes, that is worth fifty pounds. Here is fifty pounds. Now I have video game. Yeah, that makes sense. So that's yeah. ju- it's it's an exchange for equal things. So in terms of an NFT being non-fungible, we we're talking about uh, and we're talking about them uh, is that they are unique or one of a kind. So it's the 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 ease of it is removed. So fungible is very easy to exchange. Yeah. Okay. Non- non-fungible is a lot harder because of their unique. This does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Sort of. Okay. I mean, if you, if, I, yeah. I, I feel like okay. That in, in terms okay. of what you've just said. Yes. I guess it now makes sense why I don't understand the exchange because it's not how I understand it. As you know, this is worth fifty pounds. Therefore, here is fifty pounds. It's definitely something different. I think it, we've spoken, uh, or you told me about someone buying a piece of land in a game online that hadn't been made yet. We'll Which, get there. you know, yeah, so we'll get there. Actually, but like, actually, I think, hang like, on. Do you want me to talk about that? Absolutely, because it's, it seems like that thing of like, how is that possible? And does this, and, that, and that's where the non fungible comes from? Like, how is, how does the, how the fuck does that work? Okay, well, before I get into this, because there's a, we need to have a long conversation about Peter Molyneux, but before we get that, so uh, 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 I guess an easy way using my example of a video game being worth 50 pounds, if you want to take um, the concept of fungible to non fungible. So Horizon Zero Dawn is released and there's a fuck ton of copies on shelves. You buy them for £50. That's it. So when the quantity of those discs diminishes in the public, and we see this all the time with uh, trying to buy old games, when there are fewer and fewer copies of those old games, the price goes up because Mm -hmm. there are fewer of them. And if you if the, there are definitely times when there is one copy of a game in existence, uh, there's a I can't remember exactly what it was. There's a Nintendo game that was made for a competition, and it's a one of a kind thing. That's going to be hugely expensive because it's it's the only one. Yeah. Yeah, and then that's where your non fungible comes in because it's it's that rare. So we're only talking about the fungible non fungible elements here. We'll come back to the T, the token. Uh, in a bit, but you wanted to talk about um, somebody buying land in the game. So let me talk about let me talk about Peter Molyneux. He was a big name in the god game genre, particularly in the nineties. He made games like Populous, Theme Park, Dungeon Keeper, back at Bullfrog, and then slightly more recently games like Black and White. I don't know if you've ever played that. I've not. I've not played any of these. You must have played Theme Park. No idea what that is. You played Theme Hospital, right? Well, you've played Two Point Hospital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is basically Theme Hospital. Right, okay, fine. So Theme Park's the same thing. Oh, it's... Um, Planet Coaster. Yes, it's basically that. Okay. But like old in the 90s. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So he made games like Black and White and the Fable series. Okay. He was big and then around Fable started to... His perception in the public started to change slightly because he was sort of enthusiastically over-promising game mechanics in, in the Fable series constantly. When the first game came out, I think it was the first game, he 
said pre-release that everything you did in the game would have an effect and he gave the example of you could bury an acorn at the beginning of the game and by the end of the game that would have grown into a real tree right okay which sounds exciting yeah it sounds to have fantastic that much. yeah none of that exists oh dear so like he was constantly telling you things that you could do in the game and then the game came out and n none of it was there but since the fable series has been mired in a lot more controversy so he released a game a phone game iphone game maybe it was on the um google store as well, as well. but it's called curiosity what's inside the cube the basic idea is it was a cube and you tapped, you just tapped on your on your screen uh, to break blocks. And there were layers and layers and layers and layers and layers. And everyone in the world was tapping away to try and get inside this box. Because he said there was a life-changing prize inside for whoever was the first person to get there. Which sounds incredible, doesn't it? Yeah, sounds fantastic. And the guy that got, got through was greeted with this video message and you can find this online it's it's freely available you can see peter molyneux making his grand statement as to what it was and the winner of this game would become an all-powerful god in peter molyneux's following game goddess and would collect a portion of the income from that game oh okay which wow, you know okay. that sounds that's a, that the, the income thing in particular is, that's quite incredible. Yeah, to be, it's to really get, good. Yeah. Yeah. So the winner never got any money at all from from Peter Molyneux and his, and his studio, and had little to no contact with the devs at all. Peter Molyneux said at some point that the person that was in charge, whose job it was to keep contact, left the studio and they just never replaced them. Oh, cool. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Cool. 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 So uh, this game, Goddess, is will be eight years old this year. It's still considered to be early in access and is basically just generally considered to be abandoned. I oh, mean, wow. Eight years in early access is... That's not, that's not good. Anyway, he's moved, Peter Molyneux just moved on. He's not, he's not dealing with that anymore. He's got a new game coming out called Legacy. And that's a business sim. So I guess imagine like your two-point hospital where you, think, where you create a, a business and then run it. And in this, you can buy plots of digital land to start a business and then uh, the digital products of that business can be traded or sold within the ecosystem of the game. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you can buy virtual land within this game to build your business. London recently sold for $900,000. Fucking hell. As of uh, December 2021, it was estimated that the game had made $53 million. Oh which is about my god. Which is about £40 million in selling digital land. Fuck. That's a lot of money. Um, I've made a note here saying, uh, the question I have is, what happens to these digital assets when the game inevitably ceases to exist? Because video games, as we know, yeah. do not last forever, particularly online things, because they'll just get a point where the servers are far too expensive to maintain or they've the devs have moved on to something else and they just can't, even if a game's sort of popular. It's just... I mean, from my understanding of it, obviously there is a level of it where, say, say I was that person that bought London in this yes. game. Yes, yes. The you don't just 
spend money just to have the land the idea of nfts so some of the appeal and maybe mistakenly so i don't know i actually don't know how it works so i might just be saying stuff is that if i was to spend money on an nft like a piece of land of london in this game that it eventually would make me money back so in terms of like what happens to the game i guess the question is inevitably it will cease to exist but how much money can i earn having invested nine hundred thousand pounds dollars whatever how much money what can i do in this game that will enable me to create a, an income perhaps even a passive income which is really the the real kind of like hook here you know the the, the fact that you can have you know a job but then there's something giving you passive income and i say this because i know someone who bought it wasn't like a lot of money but it was, you know, for a regular person, let's call it, let's say it was £100, you know, like, it's it's money, you know, that like you work hard for that money, so £100, is, you're definitely going to miss it from your account, who had invested in a online casino. Don't ask me how it works, I don't know how in the casino, it how that works, and with the idea that this was eventually going to make them some money. And obviously, because it's digital and you can't really, you can't really control everything. Uh, there was two people running this casino business thing and one of them took off with the money. And that's it. It ends there. There's nothing you can do about it. How are you going to, like, unless you can catch that person, how are you going to, you know, my question is, how are you going to prove? Like, the money's just gone. You have willingly given it over. <laughs> And somebody has just walked off with it. I mean, that happens all the time. In yeah, games. absolutely. Yeah, like, you know, Kickstarter was well known for people crowdfunding things and people going, "Hey, look at all this money!" Okay, bye. Yeah, oh dear, people are shit. And um, but I, I guess within terms of legacy, the the outgoings to the person that's paid that nine hundred thousand is if within London they can create enough businesses that create enough digital products that enough people will digitally buy with your uh, cryptocurrencies that you either keep the cryptocurrencies cryptocurrency and you're continually moving that from the game into your uh, own own accounts or whatever or you transfer that money into into real money into physical money yeah and buy out that way but i assume that's how that's how it works that that person is believes that or they're just going to sell off the land for more money for more money because london which presume would be a fairly large part of this ecosystem so they can then carve it up and sell it back and they're out out the, the money they get back will be larger than the nine hundred thousand. but it's just it's just super baffling to me um that I'm trying to think if I am someone, okay, Peter Molyneux has created this space, mm -hmm. has created this city, somebody has brought, somebody has bought London, mm -hmm. and whether they have sold it off or kept it, they're creating content that I can engage in, and I'm trying to think, what would I spend money on? I know obviously me and you are not the type of people to go into a game to spend money. I think everyone by now probably knows how we feel about microtransactions. But I'm trying to think in what context, even if I was someone who spent money like that, what would I spend money on? 
what would I get? Is it, is it that somebody has created in there something that I can't experience in real life or I don't know maybe it's illegal I don't know but they've created something in this game that I can experience virtually and I am paying money for it is it like that or you, well, who, who, who you knows know? the game's not out yet so who knows of course who, who knows it's just a bunch of promises about it being a yeah do you know, but you know what I mean like what sim. is it in terms of like a consumer's point of view yeah. what what is going to propel me to spend money because people exchanging NFTs is one thing they are making their money but how do you then engage with the person who's going to be then spending money because there will be people in there putting money in they're not going to see money back they're not in the NFT side they're on the consumer side and I just wonder what the what they get out of it when they spend their money. They're going to hand over their money and they're going to get what? Well, <laughs> we, we can come back to that in a minute because we yeah. need to finish explaining what an NFT is. Okay, yeah, let's got, go We've got a bit sidetracked. Cause, okay, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because we can come back to where that currently is in Yeah, yeah, yeah. In video games. Uh, yeah, so we were on the T, weren't we, for the yes. token? Yeah. So we've gone through fungible, we've gone through what non- non-fungible is. So uh, the T stands for token. The token in the term refers to the data of the item being stored on a blockchain. Now, a blockchain is a growing list of records called blocks that are linked together using cryptography. Each block contains a cryptographic hash of the previous block, a timestamp, and transaction data. The timestamp proves that the transaction data existed when the block was published to get into its hash. As blocks each contain information about the blocks previous to it, they form a chain, with each additional block reinforcing the ones before it. Therefore, blockchains are resistant to modification of the data because once recorded, the data in any given block cannot be altered retroactively without altering all subsequent blocks. Now, one of the things I said in there was a hash. Yeah. Which needs further explaining. Yeah. So a hash, a hash is, and I'm really simplifying this right now because not a computer scientist, but a hash is, at its very basic way of describing it, an algorithm to map data that any input will give the same output, which is how they can't be retroactively altered. Okay. Does that make sense? Sort of. So, you know, there's uh, essentially blocks of information and say block number one has got information. Block and, and number two will have their own information, but also have sort of like a, a information about the previous one. The third one will have their own data, will have imp- information about the second one, and therefore they form a, a chain. Yes, and that and, that, and that's how you can't change it because you then have to change all of them to be able to yes. change information in like just one block. Yes, and that information is a hash. And if yeah. you changed once, say you've got say like it's uh, our squishy logo, you translate that image into a hash. If you changed anything within that hash, the output would not be what it originally was. Does that make sense? So you can't you can't physically change the hash once that's recorded into the block, right? Because that changes what the it's thing in was. the other blocks. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah, it changes everything in the blocks. It changes what the input was originally, right? Um. So yes, you'd like all of the information would be changed. So yeah, you just can't. Apparently. Okay, but it, so I I I'm going to say that I sort of get that because I think there is a level of that which is very. Again, like you just said, like computer sort of... Yeah. But, you know, you know there's, there are yeah. things that I... It definitely goes over my head. But this is still digital. Yes. You know, this is these are things that don't actually physically exist. Yes. Um, and I guess I'm just moving on to your next point here. 
because you mentioned like a squishy, a squishy logo, mm-hmm. which is essentially an image. Well, I mean, one of the things that's very weird about NFTs is you buy digital ownership of an item. So if we sold, again, our squishy logo as an NFT, somebody would, on the blockchain, have a receipt saying that they own that image. Just the image. But it doesn't necessarily convey copyright. That has to be explicitly said. So if it's not explicitly said, you don't own copyright. And because it's digital, it also doesn't stop people from just copying the item. So if you... Now that um, Twitter has its... You can have an NFT hexagon avatar. If you see one that you like, you can right-click and save that. Yeah, I mean... Let me give you an even better example because I work in dance, right? Yes. And there's there's always massive conversations about this because, you know, you dance, it happens, it's gone. Obviously, these things can be recorded in video. But, you know, like, you know, there's, there's always a conversation about, you know, who came up with a move first? Technically, do they own it? Were they the first? But you can never answer this question because, it's, you know, it's impossible to know. And things are being recreated all the time because really, let's think, you know, nothing's original, you know, let's let's start there. So and the fact that you can own something that's like unique, it's really a weird concept to me working in dance. But also there is someone, forget his name, who created a dance NFT. So they had recorded themselves, uh, from my understanding, I've not seen this. They recorded themselves doing a move or let's say a string of moves. Which, by the way, I could recreate and record myself. But they created this and sold this as an NFT somehow. However, this kind of gets translated. And somebody bought it for thousands of pounds. Um, Mind you, somebody could pay me a day rate for me to sit in the studio and and recreate this string of movements record me and they could use that on an ad or whatever and you know whatever it is being used for but that's not how it worked like this video was created and someone in and and just quote unquote now owns this video yes so that's all that that's all that they they own the video they have a digital receipt saying that they are owner of that video they don't they won't own the dance or the copyright to that. So yes, you're right. You could go in and do your own version of that dance and have your own video. I just wonder, you know, someone who's bought something like a dance NFT. Yeah. How, how are they going to make their money back? This is the bit that I am struggling to understand because uh, I would this imagine is an investment. It, no, let, let think of it in terms of uh, of art. So think of that as a uh, that video as a as a piece of art. If if that dance became popular, it became um, TikTok popular or Fortnite popular. Somebody owns the vid- the the original video where that f- was first seen. So the the value in that video is that if in ten years time people are like, ooh, where's the original video of that? Somebody goes. I own that. I bought it for ten pounds. You can have it for a million. And somebody goes, "That's that's value. I'll I'll have that." The problem being, to me, is that the person that owns that video can't stop people having copies of it. 
Unless unless they've never released it public. You've seen this video, haven't you? Have you I haven't, no. Okay. I ha- actually so, haven't. I don't know where to so find unless it. it's, unless it's Unless it's never released publicly, so that there's no way that anyone else can ever right-click save that thing, then the value change. So I, I made note here, what we're dealing with is worth. So obviously the worth of something is it based on a, a couple of factors, but it's mostly about what somebody is willing to pay for something. That's the only way in which yeah. something has value, is how much are you willing to pay for this? Then, on top of that, you get scarcity. So that goes back to what we're talking about with video games, that once a video game, a physical copy becomes very rare, the scarcity pushes up the price. So uh, I say in my notes here, like a Van Gogh painting is valuable for a lot of reasons, but mostly because it's the only physical version that exists. But people also have to be willing to pay that price. And that's, you know, we're seeing a lot of that as a discussion in video games at the moment with this current generation where game prices are sort of knocking between 80 and 90 pounds. Yeah, yeah. And that will only work if people are willing to pay that. And you saw it um, a little bit with Guardians of the Galaxy, which coming off the back of the Avengers... People looked at that price and went, I'm not sure this game's good. I'm not sure that's a price worth paying. And uh, Square Enix have said that once they started discounting the game, sales boosted. People were willing to give it a try, found it was good, were telling their friends and stuff, and sales went up. But then then it became people like, well, that's a value that I think is correct for this product. Mm. So with that video you're talking about, if it doesn't exist online, if there's no copies of it online, and somebody wants to buy that original dance, the original video of that dance, its price will be based on what somebody thinks a video of that dance will be worth. So that's that would be that's you know that's art speculation in a nutshell. Again, the problem comes with NFTs in as much as that it's not inherently unique because it, that you can't stop reproduction unless again with that video it doesn't exist in a way to be copied and yeah saved uh so uh, i've got another little story here can i can i yeah tell of course story? yeah tell me tell me I'm, have, I'm having lots of thoughts and so you carry on <laughs> so this is still on art so less games and more art so there are two particularly... Games are art. <laughs> you, but you know what I mean. So it's, yeah, not, yeah, it's, yeah. Not, it's not a video game. It's just, it's just a, a, a piece of a, a pictures. So there are two particularly popular art-based NFTs at the moment. Uh, there are technically three, but I didn't want to get into the third one because it is what it is. So there's the Bored Ape collection. I'm sure you've seen some of these ugly-looking monkey pictures on the internet. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Do you know much about it? I don't know. They are all just randomly generated algorithmic pieces of art. So there's a whole bunch of uh, elements created and then you just press a randomised button and it just assigns these things, colours, hats, glasses, whatever, to a monkey and then it's sold. So there's no... Outside of the creation of those original assets, there's no work put into each individual thing, really. It's just computer generated. So they're very popular. And then... You have uh, Rare Pepe, who was a frog, 
who was uh, eventually co-opted by the alt-right as their kind of mascot, which... Mm, um, <laughs> the uh, the creator has been working to try and reclaim Pepe, but I think a lot of the damage is done for that. But, long story short, there were eventually a hundred versions of a particular image of Pepe created. There were more, but a whole bunch of them got quote-unquote destroyed. So there were a hundred. One was sold at auction for $540,000, thereabouts, and the other 99 were being held back. Eventually, 46 more of them were just given away for free, and the person who bought the original one at auction is now suing, claiming that the other 46 have dropped the value of their original $540,000 investment to just $30,000. Oh, wow. So... Again, not a thing that would happen with physical art, because even if you were able to paint a painting that was very similar to another one, it's it's not the same painting. It physically cannot be. Even uh, forged art isn't the same painting. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's why you have the you know receipts of authenticity. Yeah, which is what an NFT is, just digital. Um, but these these aren't unique pieces of work because you can just keep copying them, and they are all identical. Yeah. It's um, it's weird. It's 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 just like again, I have to question. Because mm-hmm. this is really where my brain goes. And I also wonder whether, you know, I'm also kind of at the age of which, like, this is like a world that is going to be completely alien to me, that it comes with the new generation. Because, like, my thing is, somebody has invested $540,000 in this dumb picture of a frog. Yep. A frog with, with the... his butt out, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure. Because why would it be in? <laughs> An an alt-right frog with its butt out. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, and with the hopes that it would be worth more in the future. And obviously there was this, you know, giving it away for free. Yeah, I mean... Has they, done this thing. But my question, again, I just have to keep coming back to this. This is yeah. an investment. Mm-hmm. Clearly that person has bought it with the intention of selling it for more. But mm-hmm. what the fuck did they get out of it? Because they own this. Mm-hmm. You know, like with a piece of physical art, it is in their house, in a museum, whatever. It just sits online. I guess people can, again, go on it, look at it, right-click and save it, or just, like, you know, screenshot your screen. Um, But I just, I don't understand as a buyer or as a consumer. I just... It, do you know what I mean? There's, there's just like a, for me, there's still like a disconnect there in, 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 I understand the investment part of it. Uh, and actually this, this, uh, them giving away those 45, 46 frogs doesn't, doesn't surprise me because that happens in the business world, right? You get someone to buy something for a high price and then, you know, uh, you do something that makes the value go down and you try and buy it back. Someone's going to try and buy that now. Yeah. Because it's, you know, worthless because they know that, you know, they buy it back worthless. They can try and get maybe get all of those, the rest of those um, frogs back and then they monopolizing it. They they have all the power. I understand that level of I understand that. In terms of gaming, 
I just like I I just as a consu- I just don't un- I don't fully understand what people get out of it because th- they just they exist and I know someone can have a receipt of ownership in as much as like a physical piece of art has got receipt of ownership and I pay money to a museum to then go see it so obviously there's still money being exchanged in that way but that's it okay. it just feels like such a, a convoluted system. It's unreliable, not policed, so, so open to uh, theft and, uh, you know, forgery and, you know, just like it's a whole world of exchange of money that is not there's no there's no rules for it. People are doing what the hell they want. Like, you know, if if by going by Peter Molyneux's. track record he's not going to do anything with that legacy game because I mean, that's his track people should just listen to his track record he's not going to do anything he's he's going to mess it up he's going to overpromise something people are going to lose money that's what he does he is going to do that but people have still given him money and i don't understand that like he's just doing what he wants getting people to buy those things and there is no consequence to this yeah that would definitely be my like if i was a certain person to invest in this i would definitely be waiting to see that legacy actually functions but this is the thing right this is the thing with all investments when people like when me and you find out about it it's already too late yeah and that is the that is the the the, like really like rules of good investing investment is that you need to be in in those things whatever you're investing in you need to know about it first because if you know about it first you're going to get it at a good price when everyone else knows the price goes up because again, it's like you said. There's more people interested in it, and there's only one of that thing. But I just, you know, <laughs> yeah. So you, you know, the, it, he's he's going to he's got the track. He's that's who he is. You know, you can't expect anything different. But when he inevitably makes that game not work, or something happens, or you know, someone else stops working at the company, they they don't replace, and that game doesn't whatever. To, uh, excuse he decides to give at that time there is not going to be anyone that is going to be policing that obviously if someone is spending that much money on something digital they will be able to afford a lawyer to sue but what are they suing because <laughs> yeah. he could just open bankruptcy or something I don't know you could do you, there's just there's just so many ways you can get around it right now yeah. Also, I, I I didn't look into what the contract was with buying that digital land, but you raised a couple of points there. One yeah. about one about theft. Yeah. And then about how it interacts with games. So let's talk about theft. Is prevalent right now in art mm. NFTs because yeah. people are just uh, taking JPEGs of stuff from anywhere, claiming it for their own, and then selling it as an NFT. Yeah. Um, if you want to feel really sad, maybe have a bit of a laugh, depending on how you feel about things. Uh, do have a look at NFT theft on Twitter. Um, yeah, they they're trying to expose a lot of stolen stolen media. Actually, um, I had a note here about Troy Baker. Would you like to hear that as well? I'd love to. Um, but like my other, just going my other thing about uh, theft is basically like the, I I'm not saying that art theft is unique to nfts like people will do scams about anything 
people will forge money, forge tickets for sports games, concerts. They will yeah, buy that will make them money. Yeah, buy a PlayStation in the thousands and then sell it for double its uh, retail price uh, when there's scarcity. People will do any scam, bastard thing they like. So you know, it's not uh, it's not this. It's just you know, NFTs are kind of a wild west landscape at the moment. You know, it's largely unregulated and most people don't really understand it you know it's it's easy to to, easy to get scammed yeah but speaking of theft um and things we'll go back to uh video game stuff in a second but let's talk about troy baker briefly because we always talk about troy baker so troy baker announced he was involved with an nft project with a company called voiceverse nft which from my understanding of looking into it would take voice actor recordings and through AI, allow user-generated content of that actor speaking those lines. Or, or anything, really. Like, if you have enough content, you can make the AI Troy Baker say anything. Yeah, because you Does could teach sense? it. Yeah, you could teach, yeah. So aside from the, the idea that that would sort of make actors unnecessary, and we're fucking looking at you, Book of Boba Fett, um, the, the thing that really people took offense or umbrage with his announcement of that is that he ended with the statements you can hate or you can create what'll it be oh no yeah um so yes so i mean nfts were already quite contentious at the time um so yeah he was like you yeah, know you're either just going to hate on this or you're going to use it. So anyway, he later apologised for that and then completely backed out of the thing entirely. But yeah, that voice first thing seems very weird that you'd want to be involved in that. But separate to that... But also the I, idea that somebody that is not Troy Baker would own Troy Baker's voice and do anything they want oh, with yeah. it. Oh yeah, you could make him say That's, anything. That brings out a world of issues. But shortly after that, it was discovered that voice first NFT uh, were using voice work from another AI voice product without permission. Which just seems wow. real classic NFT behaviour to me. Oh my god. So yeah, they yeah, it's it's a it's a whole thing. But you were asking about how this uh, works in video games. Who would you like to hear from first? Would you like to hear about Ubisoft or Square Enix? Let's go with Ubisoft. Okay. So Ubisoft launched a NFT system called quartz which isn't available in the uk at the moment so it's very difficult for me here to actually look at the web page to see exactly how it works but it seems to be that things that used to be dlc items like guns and cosmetics are now sold as nfts as unique items right. so which to me seems to lean into the idea of fomo you know fomo fear of missing out yeah 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 so if if you're the sort of person that plays these games and already invests in microtransactions, microtransactions. Yeah. we've talked about those before and like how they prey on people's fear of missing out to then have prestige items that no one that, else has. Yes, it seems to be really tapping into that market as well. So they also claim to be using a blockchain called Tezos, mm -hmm. which every time I uh, read it, I kept seeing Tazos, the old oh, yeah. Pogs games, but it's Tezos, yeah. uh, which they claim to be more energy efficient. We'll come back to uh, yeah, the environmental yeah. stuff uh, later. So you were asking about how players would get anything 
from investing in NFTs and video games. Uh, luckily, Square Enix on January the 1st answered your question. I'm not going to read the whole thing. We'll uh, stick a link up in our uh, Discord if you do want to read the whole thing. It's very easy to find uh, the uh, president of Square Enix's statement on NFTs. So I'm going to read a couple of paragraphs to you. Are you ready? Uh, I'm here. I'm okay. ready. <laughs> okay. Lastly is blockchain games. Be they single player or online games, games have traditionally involved a unidirectional flow whereby creators such as ourselves provide a game to the consumers that play them. By contrast, blockchain games, which have emerged from their infancy and are at this very moment entering a growth phase, are built upon the premise of a token economy and therefore hold the potential to enable self-sustaining game growth. The driver that most enables such self-sustaining game growth is diversity, both in how people engage with interactive content like games and in their motivations for doing so. Advances in token economies will likely add further momentum to this trend of diversification. I see the play-to-earn concept that has people so excited as a primary example of this. He goes on. I realise that some people who play to have fun and who currently form the majority of players have voiced their reservations towards these new trends and understandably so. However, I believe that there will be a certain number of people whose motivation is to play to contribute, by which I mean help make the game more exciting. Traditional games have offered no explicit incentive to this latter group of people who were motivated strictly by such inconsistent personal feelings as goodwill and volunteer spirit. I imagine he said that with the venom and disgust that I've just given those words. Uh, this fact is not unrelated to the limitations of using user-generated content. User-generated content has been brought into being solely because the individual's desire for self-expression and not because any explicit incentive existed to reward them for their creative efforts. I see this as one reason that there haven't been as many major game-changing content that were user-generated as one would expect. Does that make sense? Sort of. So the idea being that uh, people who create mods and bits and pieces like that that do these things for fun are now going to inexplicably, because it does not say how, earn money. I assume what will happen is somebody will create... Let's use GTA as an example. So if somebody created a unique gun to mod into that game and then they would sell it. So they do the work, they sell it to someone else for a bunch of money. Okay, so in those terms, I see mm -hmm. where the appeal was. I'm thinking about, I don't know, if I was playing Tiny Tina yep. and I could buy an outfit that someone has generated uh, that hasn't originally existed in the game, but someone has come in, they've designed this, and they've sold it to me, and now I am the only person that has it. As someone, I'm just a regular human being, how am I going to know that they haven't sold it to somewhere else in the world, someone else in the world that I'll never encounter because no. of the, do you know what I mean? Yes, again. It's so lack, there's just not enough policing. Like, I like the idea of it. I like the idea of having a gun that does something that no one else has. But then also that brings up the issue of like, what if they create a mod that 
makes my gun OP to the game. I mean, my concern with we what happens if within that mod there is malware or spyware or something yeah. that's going to be able to access my bank details that are saved into the ecosystem of the thing. That's to me that's the thing. Like the Square Enix have gone through this, but like what is their responsibility with this ecosystem? Like what are they what protections are they putting in that the stuff that people are buying isn't corrupting to somebody's game? Somebody's life. Yeah. And so obviously in this Square would take a percentage of every sale and every resale. So if you bought that Tiny Tina thing, Square would get part of their... Uh, I'm mixing a lot of studios here. I'm just using examples. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. They would get their part of it. If you decided to sell that on, they would get their part of it again when you resell it. So they're yeah. always going. They're always going to make money out of it because obviously they. That's that's the thing. They're always going to make money. They're always going to want to make money. I mean, it's a very explicit statement of intent that they want to. That they seemingly want to move away from the idea of people playing games to have fun, and want to move into the idea of playing to earn. Well, because you know, for them, the similarly to similarly and not really to microtransactions. Obviously, the difference is that they have to create something for people to then purchase those things. The microtransactions. The what they're doing now is that it's passive income for them because they have created a game or a world that is so large that people can put all these things into it, and they're making things, but they are earning money. Yes, like uh, you can't resell a microtransaction. But um, you can resell an NFT. Yes. Which means it's just passive income for the for whoever has created the game. Um so they always they always have money coming in and as long as that game is relevant, we'll continue to earn money from it. Yeah, and again, it'll it'll come down to what people think stuff is worth. So if you got in on the on day one of a Square Enix game and went, Oh actually that that NFT is only ten dollars, I'm gonna buy that somewhere down the line somebody's trying to have everything that exists in the game you could be like i'm not selling it to you and just and just put, push the price up put, put the price to what they're willing to pay if they are serious about owning everything in the game then it's, you know your ten, yeah. your your 10 dollars could become hundreds of thousands of dollars if yeah. that's what and that winning. becomes less about rarity and more about um like who's trying to monopolize yeah yeah which is interesting yeah which is this is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is. there is that. I mean, I would like to move on to kind of environmental impact that yeah. this has. Um, very quickly before we do that, though, just like there, there have been other companies that have made announcements about involvements in NFTs, and then Backlash has been quite vicious and have retracted. So the makers of Stalker Two reversed their NFT announcement, as did uh, Sega and Team Seventeen. They both made announcements about putting NFTs in games and then retracted those and went, we're not going to do that anymore. And Valve has uh, banned blockchain games from Steam. Um, so you, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Okay. But for how long? Yeah, until... It's 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 um, banned until Steam figure out how they can make money from it. Yeah, of and course. And then it'll be allowed. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, uh, environmental impact. Uh, I will say... Uh, before I go into saying more stuff, uh, and I've talked about this before, definitely go and find a documentary on YouTube by People Make Games called Ubisoft's Blockchain Experiment Are Bad for the Planet. 
go and watch that. Fantastic. That was the first piece that I watched uh, regarding blockchains and environmental impact, and it's really fascinating, and I definitely recommend. But I, uh, you know, I'm not going to go into huge detail. There is a lot more stuff out there. We are doing quite a surface discussion about everything. So according to Digiconomist, one Bitcoin transaction requires about 708 kilowatts per hour of electrical energy, and that's the amount an average US household consumed in 24 days. Fuck. In 2021, a study by Cambridge University determined that Bitcoin at 121 terawatts per hour per year used more electricity than Argentina and the Netherlands. Oh, wow. The Netherlands was uh, 109 terawatt hours. So... Oh, wow, like, that is... That yeah. is a lot, considering there is no old... Well, you know, people aren't using any alternate ways of powering stuff. Yeah, because the thing is, it's persistent, so it has to be online all, all the, the time. time. Uh, and needs constant, massive server farms to just so that nothing will ever stop and it everything will just accumulate it's just going to grow and grow and grow and require more and more it's the internet so it's just power. gonna it's yeah. just gonna blow out of proportion at some point um so again all of this is well and good until a time when the entire digital infrastructure ceases to exist and then this is nothing like all digital money all this digital art everything like if if the internet just goes off entirely or there's some sort of digital wipe of of all content somebody I mean, managed to wipe i'd, the I'd imagine internet. this is a massive opening to make someone's economy fall in yeah. like there's like an opening here for like digital terrorism yeah um imagine that that's going to become a thing you could break down a country's economy by breaking their internet yeah it's insane to think about, but also the fact that you have to use that much energy to maintain this, knowing already, like, fucking, like, not that long ago, um, there was, remember there was these big adverts on TV about save power. If you just turn the little button off on your TV, it makes a massive difference to the environment. And obviously people are coming out with, you know, you have, like, Las Vegas was just lit you know, 24-7, and you want me to turn off the little light on my TV. This is just worse. This is insane. From within the gaming industry, I don't know entirely where the backlash comes from because there's a lot of developers within major corporations and, you know, independent studios that are like, we want nothing to do with NFTs. So I don't know if it's purely environmental or if it's optics because there's a lot of bad press about nfts it's just an extension of microtransactions that they want nothing to do with but the, yeah there's i mean the yeah there's a big so much big backlash within, within yeah. the community well there you go this is obviously for anyone listening is you know andrew has done a lot of research into this and we're trying to figure it out together um what all of it means um and so, you know, as Andrew mentioned before, you know, these are our thoughts. Uh, some of it are things that Andrew has 
uh, looked up. Um, we don't know how much of it is correct. It's all so new. I think um, it's all correct. I hope it's yeah, all correct. Yeah, as in, you know, but even just, you know, the, the, the innate kind of like newness of the situation means that there's a lot of information out there which people just, you know, they kind of just say stuff and then it's going to change. So, yeah. you know, at time of recording, you know, obviously this is the conversation that we're having. We have no idea how this is going to uh, blow up. <laughs> um, but um, again, like, just let us know your thoughts about any of this and um, if it was useful at all. <laughs> yeah. If this, I you hope know, you've learned something. Yeah. I, I mean, I know I have. Just, just saying it out loud um, has helped me sort of understand it, understand it a bit more in terms of the motivation of people uh, engaging with this. Um, but And so we hope that it has helped you too. Okay. So. Yes. yes. We are going to move on to our surprise question. Yes. And actually, this, this question was provided by a She's Not Controlling Lady, uh, yes, Pippa. Pippa. Yes. And uh, so we are go both going to try to answer this question. Uh, I'm really looking at it. No idea what I'm going to say. But shall, I read it? shall I read it out? Yeah, read out the question and then okay. we're going to attempt to answer it. If your essence was represented by an NFT, what would it look like? Um, I guess I guess the, the 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 main question is what do you think your essence is? Um, I feel like I'm about to have an existential crisis trying to answer this question. <laughs> um, my essence. Oh, I actually because I'm a, an extraordinarily lazy person. I think my NFT would just look like a blank image, just like a white, like a a A4 piece of white paper. You'd essentially be selling the colour white. <laughs> no, I no, I no, it's my essence. It's your essence. My, if you just label it as art, it will be art. Yeah, <laughs> my, those. My, my essence of of too lazy to do some art on on a on a on a piece of paper. Um and mine uh, it's it, I think then I'll just be an A4 piece of uh, just full, fully black. You know, there's lots of art in there. You just can't <laughs> see it because it's so dark. <laughs> wow. Wow. Um Yes, I put lots of effort into that, but you just can't see it. Yeah, wow. Uh, but if you click on the screen lots of times, it may be revealed. Who knows? Okay. <laughs> well, will it be life-changing? <laughs> it Maybe. Who knows? Wow. It's for the person to to decide and uh, invest in. How much wow. are they willing to pay for the possibility that my essence may be behind that black screen? Um, wow. Yes, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, like, what is an essence of a person? <laughs> I mean, I, I told you mine's laziness. <laughs> it's not your essence, though. You, you, it's not in, It's not inherent just to you. People, There's loads of people who are lazy, so, you know, what makes you any different? Right. <laughs> it would be a white a white piece of paper trimmed with a beard around the edge. <laughs> Again, like, you are sides. not the only person in the world who's lazy and has a beard. Shut up, Viv. Literally, oh, it's I'm, just... I'm, <laughs> I'm a unique snowflake, shut up. <laughs> Beard-shaped snowflake. Yes. Oh, oh. Imagine, imagine, imagine little beard hairs oh my falling gosh. from the sky. Oh, that is that's fantastic. Melting beard all you over. You could put that in a virtual world, you know. Yeah. Make money from that. Maybe it will. Oh my god. Oh, uh, yeah. I I don't think. Aside, you know, jokes aside, don't have an answer to that question. Not a serious one, anyway. Well, I had a very good. My, my mine was a serious answer. That's what I genuinely believe. Sure. 
Okay, um, well, I guess, yeah, that's what our NFT would look like. Uh, yeah. uh, beer-shaped... Beer? Beard. Uh, beard. Beard. Uh, You're going to listen back to Yeah. Snowflake and uh, some uh, A4 black... Not, I was going to say paper. It's not as digital, isn't it? That you can no. click and the possibility of my essence may be behind it. Invest at will. Uh, I dare you. <laughs> uh, starting, starting prices are £1 million. <laughs> thank, How much is my you. essence worth? Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, but th thank you, thank you, Pippa, for that question. Yeah. Um, that was very nice. Um, so may maybe we should, um, in addition to surprise question, restart Ask a Squishy. Absolutely. And, uh, and if, if you have a really great question, maybe that will be, I say, a, you know, surprise, not surprise question, but something that we just have to think about, uh, you know, in the... Whilst we're recording, yeah, we'll um, we'll make a new channel on the Discord under the uh, Squishcast thing. We'll put a new thing up there. If you want to submit a question on Twitter, just uh, use the hashtag Ask a Squishy, and we'll um, we'll find mm, it and we'll absolutely we'll answer some of our favourite questions. Have you got a gaming-related question you want to ask us? Ask us. Ask us. <laughs> Thank you for listening. We appreciate it very much, everyone. Thank you. If you would like, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter on at Game with Squishy. And we are now in the final week, if you are listening to this within the first week of release. So 17th of April is the final day of our fundraiser for the Fawcett Society. Uh, so you can uh, follow all the links available on all our social medias to our Just Giving page, which is uh, Just Giving slash the squishy cast because somebody spelt it wrong <laughs> and you can uh, donate there please give um, uh, and and, and and hopefully fingers crossed there'll be an exciting treat on the 17th indeed indeedio and uh if you'd like to chat to us about anything in the episodes uh, you listen to, uh, do join us on our Discord, uh, and we'll also add some, you know, some links and whatnot from what we've been talking about today, uh, so you can join us in the discussion. Thank you very much again for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you, Squishies. Bye. Bye. Tea time now. Tea time. Tea time. Tea time. Tea time for tea. No, I can't say that. No, that's copyrighted. No. no. NFTs. <laughs>